and welcome to Dynasty As They Want to Be, a podcast where we drill into every episode of the iconic 1980s television series, Dynasty. I'm your host, Derek J. Lang, and with me is my co-host, Kyler K. Jafari. Hola. Hola. So we need to start the episode with a little bit of a correction. Last week, we were talking about the Blaisdell residence and this little rainbow, I guess, what do you call it? It's uh, one of those inspirational plaques. Yeah, an inspirational plaque hung up in the above the dinette set that... Um, Gather, we, love. <laughs> live, laugh, love. But we were, we were saying that we didn't think the rainbow flag had been um, invented yet, or at least the association representing LGBTQ pride. But actually, I went on to history.com and learned that it was actually invented in 1978 by artist-designer and then-drag performer Gilbert Baker. Um, he was commissioned by none other than Harvey Milk, heard of him, for um, San Francisco's Pride Parade. So there's a little pride fact for you in the uh, the month of June. Did you know that, Kyler? Obviously I didn't because we had to ask the question last time. So mm-hmm. uh, Also, didn't Stonewall just have an anniversary? Yeah, it's uh, the 50th anniversary of Stonewall this year. So, so, well, another big milestone at Stonewall was Madonna was there last year. <laughs> she just had a... <laughs> A little drop-in secret performance, um, and then there was some controversy about she had some dad unusual uh, appendages on that ass. Yes, that was a big deal at Stonewall. I think it was um, over New Year's. I wouldn't say that's as important as the actual anniversary of the uprising at Stonewall. Well, but what I like about Madonna is she just doesn't give a f. She's like. Y'all can watch me put my butt implants in and and I got more money than everybody and I'm on top of the music business. So I like that that's her attitude about it. Madonna definitely has reached a give absolutely zero fucks. Actually, I think she's in the negatives. I think she gives like negative fucks about things as evidenced by her... Um, Plus infinity. Her, yeah, her new album, Madam X, where... I don't know. I was listening to it and I was playing some of the songs for you, Kyler, this morning. And um, I like it. I think it's weird that there's this like alter ego, Madam X, that she's kind of performing. Is that what you think is going on? Yeah, yeah. She's explained that Madam X is Ah, this like spy persona. That's why she's walking around with a. I'll be honest. I'm I'm not informed. I'll be honest. I'm not informed. I just, I'm not keeping up with Madonna's uh, releases these days. So. This is sort of my first exposure to it, um, other than when we watched the video for Dark Ballet. Yeah, that's still my favorite track from this new album, that Dark Ballet song. I love the video, too. I know you, like, hashtag are obsessed with the the video, but it's just such a madcap, zany song. Yeah, I'll say, like, the tracks that we've listened to, um, I haven't digested the album, but I do think the Dark Ballet is the most Madonna-like song if that makes sense. I I feel like a lot of the tracks that we listen to are sort of like anybody who works with this producer is going to get this song. Like it doesn't feel like Madonna to me, 
Exactly. No, everybody loves Madonna when she takes risks and when she does something like that, I think we can all get on board with her not just retiring and going away, which I know a lot of people want her to do. But as long as she's still living and breathing, I'm fine with her putting out songs. I think at this point, she's just trolling everybody. She's like making ridiculous things and she's like daring you to complain about her and tell her to quit making music. That's my take on it. Yeah, and I know like some people have voiced concerns about some of the like reggaeton and Latin inspired stuff, but like she's always been in tune with world music. Yeah, I think she gets a little pass. She started out in what gay dance clubs in New York in the early 1980s. I mean, she's been there since the beginning, and then she, you know, was a, a huge champion of AIDS research when nobody wanted to, you know, commit to that. Um, and so, yeah, I, she's from way back. I, I don't, I think she gets a pass on a lot of that. Yeah. But I, I actually, um, I haven't, like you said, digested the whole album enough to form my ultimate opinion on it. But so far I'm, I'm into it. Other the alter ego thing is a little weird, but whatever. Like you said, it's Madonna. She well, gets a pass on so my all question fronts. I, yeah. My question on that, the alter ego part of her career she was always doing characters i mean that's that's madonna's thing she and she reinvents herself constantly right she's one of the 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 biggest musical music artists to do that so i I think that's this is all just in keeping with what we know from madonna and what we like about her yeah yeah i mean i guess i guess the concern might be that you know she already has an alter ego like madonna is this iconic alter ego and then she's like layering another alter ego oh, on top of that wait so what do you think madonna's really like when she's just at home i bet she's super duper boring and she just eats ben and jerry's and puts on you know a robe and slippers and farts wait, a lot so all of this was just a ruse <laughs> we've been tricked this whole time madonna's not nearly as interesting as we thought no of course not but speaking of alter egos and characters, we get a little bit of that in this week's episode of Dynasty with Stephen Carrington kind of trying to figure out who he is and portraying himself in different ways to different people. So uh, I think there's a lot to chew on in this episode. Should we get into it? Good episode. Can't wait. <laughs> Let's take a break and then we'll be right back. Okay. Wow. This episode was amazing. All of the characters had a moment to shine. Every single one that I care about, you know, basically everybody except for Michael the chauffeur and Lindsay the crazy teenager, really did something monumental. I was just on the edge of my seat and enraptured by everything well and i think this episode things finally get really soap operatic you know Mm -hmm. like like it was it's all the previous episodes are very just sort of like light melodrama but here we're like finally getting like the the push and pull between all these different characters and all the it's more about the backstory what you're not seeing and what you see that the characters don't see which to me is all just like classic soap opera writing Mm-hmm. It's super dynamic. Who should we start with first? I don't even know where to begin. Uh, that's a yeah, that's a tough call. I mean, to me, this is still Steven's episode. Uh huh. So I don't know if we start there or end there. Yeah. Well, let's talk about how we kind of spend the first half of the episode with him. He's working the night shift with Walter Lancashire and Matthew Blaisdell, and Walter wants to. 
Go to breakfast. Yes. Uh, What he really wants to do is straighten him out. And he takes him on this long road, 40 miles outside of town. But before we even get to that, like, I think everything in this episode is kicked off by this phone call Stephen makes to Claudia at 6 a.m. apparently. Oh, right. Before he leaves, he calls Claudia right. because as we know, they last left with a under the dinette table smooch between I mean, I'm just them. thinking way too early to call somebody. And of course, she even says, Stephen, it's 6 a.m. Can't this wait? And he's like, no, I wanted to thank you for the other night. And I'm like, well, you don't call somebody at an inappropriate time of the day unless you've really got feelings or something. Yes? Well, I was going to say that I'm sorry, but I'm really not. I mean, for some some reason, I, I just don't feel sorry. Claudia, is that wrong? No, it's not. I'm not sorry either. And something must have happened. I'm wondering, do you think they, like, didn't just kiss after that coffee cup fell on the floor? Do you think they just like boinked right there on the breakfast nook floor? I mean... I didn't even think of that. I'm going to say no. I mean, he's... But, I, but I, I think it's an interesting consideration. Okay, so maybe they did or maybe they didn't, but there is a subtext there, right? And so this phone call is sort of the beginning of his whole sexual journey that's going to happen in this episode, I think. Right. Well, and as we've stated before, if you're a new listener, I have not seen all of the episodes and Kyler has. So he kind of knows where this is going. And I just am in the dark. I'm just talking about this episode, though. Right. No, I know. But I just want to like let the listeners know that you know some things. You have uh, clairvoyance. And... Not because you're gay. Not, no. Uh-uh. <laughs> Which Fallon says later in the episode, do, gay, do you think you're clairvoyant just because you're gay? Come on, I can see the way you treat him. Jeff can't. He, he. Well, does being gay also make you clairvoyant? Going back to this phone call, what I took from it or what I really learned from it is that neither one of them feel guilty about what happened. Right. And that's actually important for some other characters that are also engaging in some cheatery. Yeah, she doesn't care that he's calling so early and she doesn't care that he planted his lips on her after dumping that coffee on the floor. They seem to really be connected, which is obviously very surprising because Stephen has been gay up until this point and Claudia Blaisdell's a lady. Well, that's okay because Walter's gonna take him to the gay conversion farm. <sighs> Yeah, this is so problematic, this whole first half of the episode where Walter drives Stephen Carrington to a... 40 miles outside of town. Mm-hmm, to a bordello, which looks like it's straight out of like the best little whorehouse in Texas. I guess this is the best little the whorehouse, best little whorehouse in, Denver. in Golden or something, or whatever <laughs> suburb of Denver they went to. Yeah, best little whorehouse in Colorado. Although I like it that it's more like an 80s Cape Cod. It's not really like your quintessential looking bordello. Oh, it's very chic for a brothel. There's like a balcony that all the whores are hanging out at, drinking coffee first thing in the morning. And, you know, it's surrounded by trees. It's it's a it's a lovely spot. It ain't no bunny ranch. It's quite a nook. Yeah. But yeah. So basically, Walter kind of explains to him that he's been married three times. He likes patronizing this establishment. It's very clean. The women are beautiful. 
basically his whole point is that he's seen that Steven's been having troubles with the other oil men and being accused of being a prevert. And he thinks, well, he says there ain't nothing that can't be fixed. Right. I mean, this really is, this is something to fix. It's something to fix. It's it's a problem. It's something that That, can be fixed. He seems to think. Right. All inside of this Cape Cod, which, you know, you know, again, time period, these are all very old fashioned notions. So, you know, well, yeah, but there are still people who believe stuff like this is true, which is alarming. But yeah, uh, they go inside, and I love that the madam of the house, speaking of Madam X and Madonna, there is a, a Heidi Fleiss type character here who... Um, I don't think she has the black book full of celebrities that she is running a big business on. No, but, but she does have a scrapbook with all her ladies' pictures, which I Walter... believe that's called a menu in Bordello <laughs> speak. Yeah, Walter gets a little kick out of it, but uh, they really just want... Steven's to... not getting a kick out of any of this. Oh, he looks so uncomfortable, and kudos to Al Corley for really selling... Oh, his eyes are on the front door the whole time. He's like gonna skedaddle first thing. Yeah, he's totally troubled by this situation. I love how everything in this episode is sort of underpinned by you're too early or it's too early or not this time of the day. Anyway, so yeah, he gets hauled upstairs to whoever's available on shift this morning. Well, it's decided that the best hoe for Stephen Carrington is this woman fresh from Atlanta named Sarah Pat, who is experienced with newcomers. What did you think of Sarah Pat? So this scene with Sarah Pat is by design, not a comfortable thing to watch. And Mm-mm. she says to Stephen well, what's wrong? This can't be your first time. Of course, we're wondering, well, he's definitely been doing the nasty with Ted back in New York and very possibly has done something with Claudio. I think what's confusing for me is, yeah, he clearly had a sexual relationship with Ted. As you point out, maybe he did something with Claudio or maybe some other experimentation with women in the past. So I don't think he has no experience sexually. Well, of course, she's implying, are you a virgin? Like, because mm-hmm. it doesn't, wouldn't even occur to her that he's that way. So my question is, is he uncomfortable with the situation because he is gay or because he has feelings for Claudia? It's not really explained. And maybe that's the point. It's Well, it's clear that they are setting up a thing where he's emotionally attracted to Claudia and maybe that's his hatch into heterosexuality versus here he, at, here he is at the bordello where it's just straight sex, you know, and he's not going to achieve heterosexuality through that method. I mean, it's just your basic, you know, gay conversion and Walter just thinks you can fix it, you know. Yeah, and he keeps telling Sarah Pat, which, by the way, what the hell kind of name is Sarah Pat? Yeah, I'm so glad you called that out. I, I, I Did somebody just put random names in a box? And it's not a, a Billy Joe or a Bobby Ann, or it's Sarah Pat. That's one I've never heard. It's very bizarre. And he even calls her Sarah at one point, and she corrects he, him. He even doesn't like her name. <laughs> and she, yeah, she corrects him, Sarah Pat. It's like, uh, okay, Sarah Pat. Like, is that short for something? Is it Sarah Patricia? I don't know. It's super weird, and it just adds to the weirdness of this whole scene. 
maybe Stephen, as he keeps telling Sarah Pat that he's just tired. He'd been working the graveyard shift. And again, it's early. Yeah. And also, maybe he's just not interested in being with a sex worker. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of men generally who just wouldn't want to do that. As we've seen, he's a very emotional guy. Some would say emo. So I think maybe he just needs a emotional connection with who he's going to, you know, make love to. Well, one thing I do like is that, again, in reference to this earliness, they are escorted into the lobby at the bordello and Madam asks Walter if he'd like a drink. And he's like, no, thank you. There's some things I don't do that early in the morning implying that of course we'll go see hookers at you know 9 a.m but not have a drink walter lankerstrom seems so satisfied as they're driving away from the whorehouse that uh that he's fixed steven and steven just tells him yeah it was great and walter says i bet that was better than a hot beef brisket sandwich (laughs) (laughs) and it's kind of cringy i don't know i'm just trying to imagine what that comparison is supposed to mean yeah maybe walter lankersham likes them beef curtains wasn't that better than a barbecued beef sandwich and more beautiful than pears and rolls and all the sunsets you've ever seen Yep, you're right, Walter. Yeah, that's just the beginning. That's just chapter one. By the way, honorable mention to Walter's vehicular choices. He's got this wonderful, like, 78 Toyota FJ40, which is the uh, Land Cruiser, I I guess, is the the badge naming. And, uh, you know, one of these things in number two condition goes for 50K plus these days on the collectible market it's a very sexy car and i mean exactly the kind of thing that you should be riding up the mountain to the hilltop especially with the front windshield folded down on the hood i mean that's that couldn't possibly be dangerous (laughs) so if that wasn't bad enough for steven later on he gets strung up at the blaisdale lancashire oil rig because all of his co-workers think he sabotaged the rig but he didn't right we see earlier in the episode that eddie the the roustabout oil rig guy that loves calling everybody a prevert he's a prevert was the one who like took out a screw and that's what it took to sabotage I, I the rig it's properly referred to as a bolt oh well i was kind of surprised that that's all it took to bring this oil rig yeah down. it's pretty lame they didn't really flesh out that detail very well but yeah but that was enough to bring this operation to a grinding halt and that's it that bolt turns out to be worth about forty thousand dollars or something later i don't know yeah so they all blame him and then walter lankersham thinks that there's nothing that they can do but go to carrington or one of the guys they met at the oil dinner party a few weeks ago and sell their land leases because they're all out of money they can't fix this issue Later, we see that Stephen feels really guilty about this, and he goes into breakfast where his father, Blake Carrington, and Crystal are, and he wants his daddy to bail them out because he thinks it's his fault. He thinks he messed up. He has no idea that actually Eddie the Roustabout was the one who took the bolt out. And this sends Blake Carrington into a tirade. Really? Yeah. He, he just seems like he's just being pissed off Blake Carrington. He doesn't seem like that over the top. Blake is using this as an opportunity to make 
Steven, his little bitch. He's like, oh, you're going to work for me in my public relations department? Oh, you're not going to continue to live your curious New York ways, i.e. be an out and proud gay man? It's revolting the way that Blake is treating Steven in this moment. And Crystal sees it. Like, Linda Evans gives such a look of disgust. I just, ah, oh, my skin was crawling at the way that Blake was treating Steven. Yeah, I, th- I think your read's extreme. I I think he's just being pissed off John Forsyth, but it's not anything we haven't already seen before. I think Linda Evans' look is probably the best thing in the whole scene. I mean, it's, again, her eyes, man. The mascara points in a certain direction to the floor, and it communicates everything about how disgusted she is. But I think she mostly just doesn't understand. This is still a world that's a little bit troublesome to her. I was thinking about how beautiful it is here. And how ugly sometimes. Two for the price of one. I think this is the moment when Crystal realizes we've seen little bits from the very first yes. episode of her absorbing. Well, like, this is where this it's is kind of a nasty place. This is, oh, and this is where it's basically revealed to the to the viewer that Matthew Blaisdell was, you know, a pawn in this game between Blake and uh, and Crystal, and Blake, and she feels basically feels like Blake used her to get Matthew back on board at this previous dinner party. So now she's like, well, this really is kind of like not a loving marriage at this. You know, this is her moment where she realizes that the episode actually began with crystal being awoken by a maid and being forced to become a board member. So they could hide some of the money because the oil, the Carrington oil in the middle East has all been taken over. So this really is the most desperate we've seen Carrington which partly, I guess, explains why he was treating Stephen with such disdain, but it still is completely unforgivable, which Stephen thinks and Crystal thinks as well. And even Fallon, too. Well, after that confrontation, Stephen goes upstairs and he starts packing his shit. He's going to go back to New York and move in with Ted. Can we talk about Stephen's bedroom? Sure. Did Did you not even notice? No. Um. So, you know... I we're in the Carrington mansion. All the rooms are, you know, it's one of these houses where everything is one look. Uh, it's, it's a very composed house and his bedroom is, you know, one of these like English estate, you know, paneled walls and, you know, the marble fireplace and, you know, like Louis 15, you know, chandelier or something like that. But then like, it's like the set decorator just kind of like unloaded the trailer because there's there's, there's a, a just like this huge wicker club chair. So I'm like, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense in the steak horror. And then there's a African like medallion, like huge thing like over the fireplace. And then there's this like macrame, like Native American, you know, like a tribal decor on the wall. And then then there's like an African idol statue in the corner. If you notice like in some of the shots and then there's like this, like, you know, Spanish mission, like, or Jacobean style, like hutch in the middle. So there's like all of these like incongruous, like, you know, almost like tribal or, or just like things that do not fit together much less in this, you know, Carrington mansion style room. I can't believe that I didn't notice any of that, but maybe that they're just trying to tell us that Steven is very worldly and he's traveled and collected all of these bits and bobs 
because he's just a you know rich boy who could just go to Africa and the Middle East. I, I took it to mean they were trying to make him out like he reads too many decorator magazines. <laughs> it could be that too. It could be that too. But anyway, so yeah, but this is where they're having this conversation with you know between Stephen and Fallon, and he's calling her out for her sham marriage, and she delivers that line that we both like. Yeah, again, this is a great episode because everybody has a moment to shine. And when Fallon goes up to try to talk Stephen out of going back to New York, this is a really great moment for her. And we learn that Fallon knows her brother is gay and has been in a relationship with a man. She doesn't know necessarily the details of it, but she knows about it and she's fine because she loves him. And as Stephen says, he loves her too. It's actually really touching. Yeah, I mean, they clearly have like the most healthy relationship in this household. And I, I, I appreciate that they seem like a brother and sister, although they obviously don't look too much like each other. <laughs> so you have to wonder about that. Although maybe we'll find out about that later. Who knows? Uh-oh, uh, foreshadowing. Yeah, she does a really admirable job of telling it like it is, as Fallon always has done up until this point. And that he needs to use this opportunity to ascend to power in the Carrington family because she never will because she's a woman and she's younger and that he can live his life, you know, under wraps and be just as happy, which I don't know if that's necessarily true, especially not today. Oh, Stephen, why can't you just take advantage of being Blake Carrington's son? Play by Blake Carrington's rules. Take and be, but don't be self-destructive. Keep your private life to yourself so that you can take advantage of your possibilities. She's trying to navigate these very, very choppy waters. So then I guess there's a cut to Claudia and Matthew in the living room at home, day drinking. Uh, these are some heavy pours and I think it's just like Gilby's gin or like something like very bottom of the barrel. At first I thought they were just drinking a nice bottle of like sparkling water or something. And then I realized, no, these two fucking Alkies are oh, just hitting the vodka. couple that drinks together sinks together. Right. So, and, and of course, like it's obvious that Claudia's had way too much therapy because she's trying to therapize Matthew and like diagnose him and i think he's like basically calling her out on that too it's funny because he he said it after i thought it he's like you've been seeing that therapist too much or you know or i haven't been going to therapy so don't talk to me about that you know yeah i mean all she wants is him to really open up because he's had one of probably the roughest days of his life realizing that trying to strike it out on his own with Walter Lankersham and have this business has failed. Like there's nothing that they can do. Their credit is done. The rig is broken. This is like the most desperate moment, which, you know, explains why they're hitting the bottle so early in the day. But and I love the uh, tinkle tinkle of ice cubes in the background through all of this. <laughs> <laughs> they were definitely chilling that vodka, but yeah, it's a very uh, George and Martha who's afraid of Virginia Woolf kind of moment because she wants to talk about her feelings and he wants her to shut the hell up. And pour him another drink. <laughs> well, then we get into this. Uh, this will be explored, I think, more in the next episode, but we get into Crystal having to trade in her necklace so she can free up some cash. 
this is really the first time we've seen her kind of be manipulative, I feel like. Yeah, but that's because she had this turning point at breakfast this morning. Yeah, 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 yeah. And she's like, well, screw it. If my husband's going to use me that way, then I'm going to do what I need to do. And these, you know, these are these are now the rules of engagement. So, so she's going to help out Matthew because he at least she feels like loves her. And she's I think she's questioning that about Blake. So she's like, well, if Blake's not going to give him the money to fix his oil rig, then I'm going to save him. Yeah. She saw that he was unwilling to listen to Stephen. He was unwilling to help Matthew Blaisdell. And then she goes to this uh, friend for help. And basically the plan is she's going to take this rubies, right? Is it rubies? I think it's emeralds. Oh, emeralds. They were green, whatever they were. Mm, Even better. But yeah, she wants to pawn that off and give that money to Matthew Blaisdell to keep him afloat. So I like what's being set up here. Obviously, this is fodder for more than a couple episodes. And... It's a little bit of a reference, I guess, to the old short story, you know, the French short story about the necklace. So it's it's a light reference to that and how this necklace is going to get her into a lot of trouble later. Do you think that the Shapiros, Esther and... Oh, they definitely had faux literary aspirations. Well, do you think that they were inspired by paying homage to or just plagiarizing? No, I think it's... At least at this time, it was just something that everybody read it in high school. I think the author was Guy de Maupassant or something like that. And uh, there, oh, there's also the Diamond Necklace Affair, which was a, 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 a wonderful gossip story about Marie Antoinette and how everybody hated her so much. And somebody just made up some fake news that she got this necklace. Uh, I don't I don't remember the whole story. But anyway, it was just a, it was it was one of these things like jewelry seems to get women of a certain means into a lot of trouble and how the money gets tied up and all of that. And that's where the story is, you know, kind of going, obviously. So Crystal gets the cash and drives off to the oil trailer in the middle of the night. Uh, Again, like we're, we're doing things at inappropriate times of day. I love this. And I also like that she's driving the, the classic like rich bitch Mercedes sports coupe of that time period like that's like every rich woman had that car well yeah i mean she has to do this in secret so she had to drive herself she can't have that loudmouth chauffeur <laughs> driving her <laughs> right around. he's not to be trusted no and uh yeah so she she drops the cash at matthew's office and of course he's uh, understandably a little bit shocked by all of this but it's really just a setup for them to make out in the trailer and reignite this sort of like underlying passion that's always been between the two of them, even since she got married. And at this point, you're wondering, is she going to have an affair with him? Matthew, I can't give you anything else that belongs to him. But she's, she at least, she has an integrity at that level, right? So she's going to do what she wants for, for Matthew and give him this money to keep his business afloat. But she's not going to go over, over that ledge and do Blake like that. Yeah, I mean, that kiss between them was really Oh, that was steamy. chemistry. That oh, was chemistry. They were... The kiss between Stephen and Sarah Pat, no chemistry. <laughs> 
Yeah, Matthew Blaisdell uh, was really opening that mouth up. And I think that Bo Hopkins did stick his tongue all the way down Linda Evans' throat. Well, he knew that this was going to be his one chance. (laughs) Yeah, he was so excited to get that money. And he was very excited to get that Crystal Carrington, too. And he was prepared to go all the way. Maybe he was still a little drunk from his three glasses of vodka straight up on the rocks. But... Yep, she was not having it. It's fun, too, that $40,000 turns out to be like a stack of bills that fits in a tiny envelope. You know, the other thing that we didn't really mention that I kind of was living for was in the beginning of the episode when they convinced Crystal to become a board member so they could hide some of the money. Oh, they didn't convince the her. They coerced her. Right. It's it's a pretty nasty bit of business when you actually dissect it. Right. And they wake her up, uh, Andy Laird, the the Carrington attorney, and and Blake wake her up in, in early morning, I guess, where... The library is abuzz with all of the workers, which I keep wondering. Well, I like does that- Carrington Company not have offices? We know they have offices. Why are all these people operating out of the mansion? The secretaries and the lawyers and because it's six in the morning, that's why. So they they all are called into an emergency meeting at you know HQ okay, in the okay. library. I'll give you that, but what I won't give you is that a butler in a tuxedo walks by with a decanter filled with scotch or brandy or well, something. Well, again, uh, <laughs> the madam is asking Walter if he'd like a drink, and he's like, "Not this time of the morning." And like, cut to Blake having a glass of scotch out of the Lismore Crystal. And it's like, I guess they've been up all night, though. That's kind of what I got. They were burning the midnight oil, which yeah. is why everybody's in full dress at 6 a.m. It does sell how desperate they are that Blake needs to have his his 6 a.m. scotch. But Speaking of full dress at 6 a.m., did you notice she got out of bed in her nighty and was like full makeup? Kyler, they've it's, been doing that every episode. When I know, they're in I know. bed, they're wearing robes pajamas, slippers. I'm surprised they don't have on those nightcaps, the long ones with the ball on the end. No, I'm talking, she got woken up at 6 a.m. She's in night attire, of course. And then five minutes later, she's downstairs in the library and full pantsuit regalia and makeup and fresh hair. I, I, I just... I, I realize it's just TV, but I, it's a fun well, detail. Uh, well, darling, do you think she's going to go downstairs in her robe? In Not front in of front of the help. All of the help? Yeah. No. Yeah. So I don't know. That was a really great episode. Like I said, everybody had a moment to shine. And as you sort of pointed out, there was all of these things happening be- behind people's backs. And it just felt so sudsy and soapy. And the plot really moved forward. And... I just can't wait to see what happens next. Me neither. (laughs) Okay, let's take a break, and then we'll talk about our looks of the week. Oh, no, no, no. I had some housekeeping. We don't do housekeeping on this show. (laughs) I actually have another correction, or really just an oversight. Uh, Did you realize that the previous episode, uh, Catherine Lee Scott, who plays the secretary... Uh, for Cecil Colby, I didn't even realize or make the connection. She was Maggie Evans in Dark Shadows. So all this oh. time, I was like, I recognize her from somewhere. You did mention that you thought she was a, an actress of note, so that right. makes sense. Right. Yeah. We're gonna th- have, we're gonna have to have a correction segment now. Okay. Is there anything else? Well, an actress in this episode who's playing uh, one of the f- friends of Crystal at the tennis match 
is Stephanie Kramer, who goes on to become uh, Dee Dee McCall on Hunter. <laughs> wow. What do you mean, wow? The Hunter was an awesome show. You didn't like that show? I mean, it's, it's also quintessential. I mean, that was one of the biggest shows in the 80s. I don't like shows about animals getting killed. You know that. It's not called Hunter for that reason. You know that. <laughs> okay. Any other housekeeping to get to? You need to bring... Nope. Well, if there's nothing further, let's get to our looks of the week. Oh, one more thing. No, no, no. <laughs> so my look of the week has to be, without a doubt in my mind... The ensemble that Linda Evans wears in the middle of the night. Oh, she takes the to money. Go see Matthew yep. Blaisdell. That was actually second on my list. I have one that I like more, but I. What was your favorite detail? Well, I just love that she's wearing this fuzzy white sweater. Oh, Crystal loves her fuzzy sweaters, man. Yeah, and it's tucked into. Uh, some high-waisted really pants. fitted high-waisted trouser but my favorite part of the outfit is the bag baby she's got this big louis vuitton bowling ball bag full of money honey yeah except it's like 12 times too big for that little envelope full of cash so it's a little i think it's a statement it's a she choice. might be keeping some of the proceeds from that necklace sale in uh, there. You know, yeah. you don't. It's a big bag. I mean, she's basically like Mary Poppins floating down into this trailer. Who knows what's in that big old? I thought Mary Louis Poppins bag. had an umbrella. Yeah, she's she's got everything. The bag is bottomless. <laughs> Clearly, so I my favorite detail of that outfit actually you don't get to see it much because it's from a, a long shot she's getting out of the car to go up the steps to the trailer i know what you're gonna say she's got some amazing equestrian boots mm-hmm. on yes the whole outfit is and this is something that a lot of them wear this sort of like equestrian inspired look where it's high-waisted pants with like a boot but this one was the best i've seen so far yes and you also in the sweater and actually there's there's a few uh, examples of this throughout this episode and even a cu- couple episodes previous, the shoulder details are starting to become a little more exaggerated and a little wider. Uh, so we're, we're starting to see the, the history of shoulder pads unfold before our eyes. Mm, just pump those babies up, baby. My look was, you know, because I was on the fence because I liked her look a lot. I, I think all put together, just walking down the street, you probably wouldn't take a second look maybe so to me it wasn't wow enough um i really like sarah pat's look (laughs) you have got to be fucking kidding me the hooker yes the hooker (laughs) look hookers deserve love too excuse me i love this worker sex worker we Uh, support sex sex professional sex professional oh we can't say sex worker anymore no that's that's already like 2.0 we well anyway we support you we want to legalize and make that uh career safe for all anyway why did you like her look well yeah there's a lot of nightwear on this show so it's it's easy pickings but i think her the print is this really bright like fuchsia and green and it's it's just like flowy silk. Uh, it's a nice cut, even though it is just like a you know just like a drapey 
night you know gown or whatever but then she's got this amazing crimped perm and the matching magenta or fuchsia colored ribbon that you thought was actually a streak um until you could kind of tell it it was moving around and tying a knot so i don't know it just she just had like a look about her and obviously the actress is kind of modely so it, just the whole thing put together I, I oh and she had these really nice black mule you know high heels which I guess you might could call a, a bedroom slipper if you're a uh, sex professional. That's a hard disagree from me. I think it looked like she was wearing wallpaper. The ribbon. What's in wrong her, with that? <laughs> the ribbon in her hair was completely unnecessary and kind of That's weird. That's why I liked it. I'm sorry, but for somebody who is doing sex work, she was not sexy at all. What did you want? Like a red lace teddy and a chauffeur's hat? Uh-huh. Exactly. All right. Well, I, you know, go go get the menu from Walter and see what else is available, I guess, because I thought this was amazing. So I have never disagreed with you more on something in the whole history of this podcast. <laughs> Well, that's it for another installment of Dynasty as They Want to Be. Kyler, thank you so much for joining me. Didn't you love this episode? Uh, clearly you did. Um, <laughs> I loved it. Maybe not as much as you. Yes, you loved it. I loved, loved, loved it. I want to thank uh, you for joining me, of course. And then I want to thank DJ Jugo for making our theme song and the artist Lindsay mound for designing our logo you can find us on social media at nasty podcast that's nasty n-a-s-t-y podcast and you can also find out more information about the show and us at nastypodcast.com. anything else you want to say kyler dining room drapes we'll talk again next week bye-bye bye-bye